Your History, The Twelve Strangest Women in Music is available from computer books wherever you get your books. Rock and Roll Grad School with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. Their dissertation contains three chapters on the flute riff in Men at Works Down Under. Hello, kitties. We're going to have a good time together, like we always will. Right? Always. always. Every day. <laughs> so this week, uh, we've got a, uh, I was going to say reporter. She's not a reporter. So this week we've got Leslie Chow, who is a renowned music critic and author. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she's got a great new book called You Are History. I guess I should really add the apostrophe, Your History. Right. Yes. Uh, 12 of the Strangers to Women you in Rock. You Are History. You Are History. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> uh, subtitled 12 of the Strangers Women in Rock, which is uh, goes over... It's interesting because I feel like she, the book covers pop music, which she always says is criminally underrated. And I could completely, I think you could argue that is still the case or very much the case. And then she, I think also kind of directs or. I would agree with that. And then also she uh, kind of comments, she doesn't say it outright. I don't think that much, but the inherent sexism in music in general yeah. That was the one of the highlights of my time at, at the wedding, actually, is when some kind of wonderful came on. Mm. I thought you were going to say hip to be square, but I'm sorry. No, oh, my God. But that's so funny because hip to be square is of all the songs in all the world. That's my brother's and my song, because when he was little, he it was like our favorite album and he called it Let's Hit the B Square. So it's like our running joke that hit the B Square. So that that's is... funny you said that. That's a good, my kids have gotten into watching YouTube videos of misheard, misheard lyrics. Oh, the best. Remember and that the, book? Excuse yes. me while I kiss this guy. It was the best book. And I usually cannot stand them. I'm always like, well, this is an idiotic mistake to make. Or like, if you stop and think for two seconds, you're like, they're not really saying that. Um, the one they showed me that got stuck in my head. And then Friday night as Fall Out Boy is singing, uh, this ain't a scene in the chorus it sounds like he's saying I'm an evil guy I'm also into cats <laughs> that's amazing and if you listen it's like it sounds like you're saying I'm also into cats and <laughs> we're standing there all screaming along I'm also into cats that's amazing that makes me love it even more yeah exactly I think I told you this already, but for years, Dave was adamant, adamant that coming to America, he says, hold on to a tree. Why would you hold on to a tree? (laughs) Exactly. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, that's not going to get you anywhere. Like, you're stuck where you are if you're holding it. He was like, no, it's hold on to a tree. I'm like, it's hold on to a dream. No, it's a tree. Like, okay. Like some of them, like there's the Springsteen debate over the summer on what Mary's dress is doing in Thunder Road. Whether it's waving or swaying. 
Do you know? It's swaying. So Springsteen just um, started his short Broadway return. Yes. And yes. the first night back, walked out, started playing when he was doing Thunder Road, plays the intro all by himself, just the guitar, sings the first line and stops, and then just very clearly enunciates Mary's dress sways. See? It is yeah. swaying. Yeah. So. Right. Did he stop and say wrapped up like a douche? He didn't. Um, I can't imagine why. Yeah. Um, did you just see the news that just came out? Uh, no. Charlie Watts has died. <gasps> no. Yeah. No. Yes. I was so afraid of that. Uh, this is. I'm surprised at how like kind of shocked and upset I am. Uh, I'm upset. I'm really yeah. upset. Yeah. The one, and like he was the one keeping that band together. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I love him. He were always, as he got older, he reminded me of the guy from Lost in Space. And it always made me laugh. Mm. I just, I, what I loved, I, I saw the Stones twice and both times, Charlie got the loudest ovation because I think everybody recognized what he did for that band and how he kind of kept things going and like just right. wanted to acknowledge that. And then I, one of my favorite rock stories ever is also one of my favorite Charlie Watts stories. Um, one, do you know he painted every hotel room he ever stayed in? He would like sketch it or paint it or somehow Wait, commemorate you, um... it. Um, but my favorite story, I believe it was from the 70s. Uh, so the, the Stones are on tour. They are having their usual after party back at the hotel. And Mick is calling up room service, ordering all this food. And at some point during the proceedings, cries out, where's my drummer? I, I want someone to get my drummer. And so somebody very sheepishly goes up to Charlie Watts' room, <laughs> knocks on the door, wakes him up, and says, um, Mick is asking for his drummer. And so Charlie kind of nods, oh showers, puts on a suit, completely all done up, like he was going out somewhere, walks into Mick's room, punches him straight into the face. Mick falls back, pat like knocked out. <laughs> Food goes everywhere. He stands over him and goes, you're my singer and turns it and walks out. And I think that's, that's all outstanding. You, that's all you need to know about the guy. That's totally all you need to know about the guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. subtitle for your book is the 12 strangest women in music mm -hmm. did you always have these 12 or are there others that you kind of had where you were they were jockeying for position I think that these were the ones that have obsessed me most over the years um, the ones whose not just their lyrics but the sounds they make the utterances the effects um they're the ones that I've, you know, struggled to decode most over the years. And I've, you know, I've listened to, you know, Nana Cherry's Raw Like Sushi possibly more than any other, 
any other album since childhood. So um, I was looking for uh, women who, some of them sit right in the mainstream and yet they have bits, bits of strangeness, aspects of strangeness that haven't been fully acknowledged and others are a little less known, more esoteric, but what they all have in common is that they're, um, I think, under-recognised and under-recognised as being peculiar in some way. And why do you think they are under-recognised? Is it a misogyny in music? Is it the fact that they're working in the pop genre and not something, quote-unquote, greater than that? It's part of working in the pop, funk, hip-hop, um, soul field. It's partly the fact that the lyrics are not particularly literary in the style of a Bob Dylan or Nick Cave. They tend to consist, the content of them tends to be more uh, how they're sung rather than what is being sung. Um, the, the specific way they might enunciate an ooh or a yeah, that can be, that's the making of a Chaka Khan song, really. The way she breathes in the song. <laughs> sure and and something like that is kind of hard to quantify and hard and isn't much discussed in music criticism and, and with that you know because some of these individuals are known as part of the mainstream and maybe not recognized for their strangeness or their uniqueness how how do you sort how do they sort of um how am i trying to say this do you feel that audiences in general just don't notice those elements or do you think it's just part of the magic of who these individuals are that they can walk both of those lines simultaneously and sort of almost subtly weave that in? I think sort of the, the strangeness within pop is seldom acknowledged, the, the, the serendipity, you know, sort of the, the Ella in Umbrella that, it, that is so un. That, 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 is so, that is so enduring and peculiar, but everyone seems to think it's some sort of accident. Um, you know, it's not, it's, it, it's not a great feat of songwriting or, or artistry. The fact that people think of pop as, you know, more the domain of one hit wonders than conscious craft might lead to it being under, underappreciated. It's interesting. This has sent me back to, reading your book has sent me back to a lot of different records. And I think really listening to them in a different way. Um, Kate Bush, especially, I feel like Babushka got a lot out of it now going back to it. And the other thing that I thought was, was fascinating. Um, and I feel like you put it into words and I could never completely do so your breakdown of Nicki Minaj in general, but her verse in uh, monster, the Kanye West song. Yeah. It's so fascinating. And she seems like such a unique character in the way she has multiple characters, again, kind of come through in her lyrics. Can you talk a little bit about her and how, just what she is achieving in song that perhaps is not readily appreciated by a lot of folks? I mean, Nicki Minaj to me in terms of her, um, her you know, the reach and grab of her imagination, um, is is a really visionary figure. She um, contains multiple voices within herself of, you know, indeterminate gender, race. She reflexively switches into a Cockney accent um, when 
she says when she's being sincere that's her truest voice rather than anything you know rather than queens where she where she where she grew up i mean she shows us how un unpredictable um an artist's imagination can be the, the the fact that many of us have no idea of what our so-called influences are when we're creating your book kind of starts uh in the late 70s with kate bush in particular um before then, where were the forerunners of some of these artists that you're, you spend a lot of time with in this book? Well, Ch Chaka Khan, I guess, has her, has her origins in, you know, Motown and Philadelphia soul. As for Kate Bush, when Wuthering Heights came out, there'd been nothing like it. Um, she, same with Nina Cherry. It, it seemed like these people had no intestines, um, that they had these stunningly original, powerful visions, and people couldn't quite assimilate the strangeness of them. Where in your listening relationship with these records and these artists, did you start to even think that there was something special about these? You know, you mentioned listening to Buffalo Stance more than any other song right. that you can think I mean, of. Um, the sort of the scraping metallic effects on it, sort of tinny effects, almost kind of tacky and synthetic, um, all all, all kind of feels that are not really valued in music or not seen as part, seen as part of something that could be part of the canon of great music. And the fact that Nana Cherry is widely respected and pretty widely known, but her songs are never discussed in detail the way, um, you know, numerous books have been devoted to, you know, Joni Mitchell or Bob Dylan or breaking them down, made me think that there was something difficult in the music that, that that made it hard to describe. And I wanted to try and get really close to the uh, to the textures and abrasions of the music in a way that I hadn't seen before. It's so interesting because again, this idea of these monosyllabic sounds being part of an artist's voice and being an important part of the artist's voice. And it's something that I feel like once somebody says it, you go, oh, that makes complete sense. Because I feel like all pop and rock music really can go back to, I mean, look at someone like Laura Richard, who's a lot of times sort of spouting made up words or phrases that you don't have to know what he's saying, but you can kind of infer where he's going with it. Um, it's, it's just such an interesting trajectory and Again, I, I guess, when, when were you able to sort of put a, a finger on that and go, this is what I'm responding to with these people. This is what I'm, this is what they're doing that's special and unique. When you listen to, you know, the various breaths of Chaka Khan, the way that her songs are about vibrato and as much about sing her particular enunciation of woe and oh as um, any any uh, lyrical theme, um, those are the sounds that are irreplaceable in music. And I think I wanted to describe effects that were unique to music and not to poetry or the written word. Do you think that's part of why these folks are underappreciated because when you do write it out, it doesn't read as well as Dylan right. or like you said, Joni Mitchell. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, that there, there is this tradition of, um, of music criticism where people are reviewing the music as if it were an essay or a set of political stances. 
and you know even Prince has been you know even Prince you know the, the, the greatest of all time has been you know mocked for his you know poor use of grammar or you know lack of general knowledge or something or, or something like that which is really I don't think um, an essential part of uh, pop songwriting. What is it that drew you to the field of music in the first place? Um, I come from a family that's completely obsessed with music. Like my mom can't, my mom cannot get in the car without certain CDs playing, without you know Bossa Nova playing, Antonio Carlos Jobim playing, and I think it's just kind of natural. Um, to me to be completely obsessed with um, movies and music. Maybe I've taken it a little bit far, but um, um, the, the, obsessive, the obsessive listening to songs and parts of songs is definitely part of um, my, my growing up and you know, that of my um, community. Do you still find you enjoy it as much as you did? And the only reason I ask it is my mother is a professional opera singer. So as much as she loves music as a professional, it's hard for her not to listen to it critically. Do you find yourself always listening to things critically or do you ever just immerse yourself as if you were a kid again? I think I'm continuing, well, I'm, I'm not a singer myself and I think I'm continuously in awe of what, um, the, what these voices and um, what these musicians can do. And the fact that, you know, um, se several of these uh, artists have multiple voices within themselves, have distinct um, personalities with different accents and tonalities within themselves. Within themselves, that's something to marvel at. I'm still in awe of it. In researching this book and writing it, how much time did you have to spend with these records? How ingrained were they already on your psyche that it was kind of just going back to double check? Am I remembering, you know, the way this all clicks together? Yeah, a lot of it was ingrained. A lot of it was about kind of digesting sort of long long term impressions, and trying to trying to work out why they've had the formative effect that they've had. Um, as a as a child, one didn't particularly think, well, Nana Cherry, she's got like five different accents, and that's her being, you know, eclectic or um, inclusive. One just thought this is an amazing personality where uh, all these different voices and um, sounds are fused together in, in what sounds in, in what sounds like you know a co coherent artistry. How much of the artistry in each of these women do you think is um, something that is, was consciously brought together versus just who they were born to be? Well, I think that a personality like Nicki Minaj and Azalea Banks would be very difficult to craft um, consciously from scratch. Um, probably the, 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 the two most self-conscious artists in the book are Shakespeare's sister, well, because Siobhan Faye came from uh, Banana Rama, from a pure pop background, and obviously wanted to make a huge change, um, making use of a completely different register, this really kind of low guttural uh, witchy register in her voice. So that's completely different. And also uh, Mich Michelle Gurevich, who sort of styles herself as a, um, uh, an, an Eastern European emigre, maybe, you know, out of a 30s movie, um, rather, rather than living in the times that she does now. Is there something 
to take away from all this other than sort of just calling out that these artists are worthy of study and worthy of uh, in kind of inclusion when looking at lists of great artists do you do you think it's possible to go deeper into their catalogs than you have and and spend more time do you see sort of study starting to look that way yeah i mean i hope that there could be a different uh value system for um for music in that uh, people give more attention to textures, to oddity, to inconsistency, rather than seeing those as errors, and that more respect is given to, you know, the phenomenon of one-hit wonders, where everything, you know, every element falls into place just once and never again, and one-hit wonders are often regarded as, you know, punchlines, but um, there's that. To me, that's part of the, the miracle of pop, that all these um, elements just bind together and make such an impression on everyone, you know, make such an indelible impression on everyone. Is there one song or one artist that it killed you not to, you know, talk about in the book? Is there one that just you couldn't click together or you had to leave out for, for space? Um, initially, I was going to have uh, Stevie Nicks in the book instead of Taylor Swift. Um, and, um, however, I think that she is, you know, um, pretty much unanimously acclaimed and I was looking more for people who had, you know, odd, odd pockets, odd, you know, odd pockets of eccentricity in their work. Um, Stevie Nicks, I think has never, you know, maybe Fleetwood Mac as a whole hasn't always had, um, universal acclaim, but Stevie Nicks always has. And um, for, that, for, for that reason, I felt that um, looking at any peculiarity in her work could wait. What have you made of Taylor Swift's kind of recent sort of change in style and change in music in some ways? Um, I feel like, did, did you write this before Evermore came out? Had you heard it at that point? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd heard, I'd heard it, but I, I'd, I'd written the essay before that. Um, I have to, I have to say, I mean, there, there, there's some, there's, there's some interesting songs on there, but I don't find this work contains as much contradiction or, you know, the, the, the kind of uh, craziness that really interests me in music. It's more uh, homogenous. It's all of a piece. It's more refined. It's more tailored, if you will. So. Um, yeah, <laughs> unintended. Yeah. One of the things I love, and I wish more books would do this, is in the back you list songs with some of the best oohs that mm -hmm. you weren't able to cover. Do you have a favorite of those? And why isn't Thomas Pynchon including oohs in his books? Well, he, he really should be, shouldn't he? I think so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yes, I'd love I'd love to see um, more more of that in Pynchon. Um, as 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 to the ooze, um, if you listen to the entire back catalogue of prints, it's full of these uh, incredible squeals and yelps that um, that define the energy of his songs that are incredibly hard, that, that are incredibly hard to explain. Maybe that's something I'd like to look into doing one day, but. Um, his, uh, you know, you know, the gamut of sounds in his work is something that I really marvel at, and is really of um, more significance to me than, say, the more conventionally melodic songs or lyrical songs like uh, "When Doves Cry" or "Purple Rain." Mm -hmm. So for that, for that reason, I'm more into 
get off or sex EMF um, for for the um, for the for, for the wildness for the wi- wildness of the sounds within them. Have you always been drawn to those tracks on records, the ones that aren't as kind of straight and narrow? I think so because I'm not particularly excited about say a perfect a perfectly minimalist pop song or some something where you can clearly hear where the specific influences come from I don't think that's as exciting to me as a sound that which is like where did that come from where did that uh, you know um that the, something that sounds like it came from out of nowhere which is the case with Wuthering Heights Buffalo Stance and uh, Azalea Banks's 212 where on earth where on earth did this track come? Where have those artists been? What are you listening to now that kind of grabs your ear in a way that some of these artists, and obviously I'm not asking you to, you know, put it in stone right now and say this person's going right. to be in the next volume, but who's who's really standing out to you? I'm listening to an Australian artist called Genesis Owusu, who has, you know, a little bit of that um, mercurial quality where he can switch between different personalities, sometimes of what sounds like a fully formed American hip hop personality and one that's, you know, very localized and Australian. Um, I also love Rasheen Murphy's new album. And if it had been released earlier, I probably would have covered it. Um, her, her voice has acquired like a, a really interesting pattern with age. Uh, and I think that aging in the female voice is something that's not that's not really accepted unless you're at the level of a Patti Smith or a Deborah Harry or Joni Mitchell. How we, want our, we want our pop stars to, to sound to sound young and timeless as well as as look at. How much of this do you attribute to the sort of multiculturalism and globalism of music becoming much more accessible? You know, in the 60s, all these British musicians talk about sending away for blues records and trying to track down things. Right now, it's so much easier to access this stuff for someone like an Azalea Banks or or a Nicki Minaj, where this sort of collection of sounds and places to kind of go and draw from are so much easier to, to tap into. I mean, in a way, it's exciting um, because as late as the 90s, one wouldn't have thought that Korean pop uh, could could colonize the world. So it is exciting in that sense. But at the same time, I feel that um, pop music has become more homogenous and more self-conscious, that you've got to be more aware of your influences and be able to defend them via social media than um, rather than becoming absorbed um, in absorbed in, in in the construction of the music rather than losing yourself in the music. I don't hear much um, music today that um, encourages a loss of self or seems to have been created out of it. So one of the things we always do in cutting these shows together <clears throat> is usually if it's a musician we're talking to, we kind of open and close with a little bit of their tracks to give somebody who is unfamiliar with their body of work uh, a little taste. What do you think are the two tracks uh, that you discuss in the book that are are worth folks who might not know some of these records that we should pull out and kind of say, hey, check this out. This will give you a sense of where, what this book is about. Um, I would would love people to listen to If by Janet Jackson. 
which is, you know, a, 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 mon- a monumental song. And if you want to make a case for her being as great as Prince or Michael Jackson, that would be the song. It begins with this kind of searing guitar riff and then it goes straight down into this sort of muttered monologue from which, you know, the, from which you only get sort of occasional flashes of meaning. So it's, it's this kind of strange mix of abstraction and, um, you know, pure power. Um, as uh, another song would be... Um, I feel for you, uh, Chaka Khan's cover of, of the Prince song, and the, the the incredible sense of vitality and sensuality that she brings to the song each time she presses on the word "feel," so that if written "I feel for you" would be "I empathize with you," but the way she says "I feel for you," it absolutely sounds like a carnal sensation. I feel for you. The way she depresses that word, and um, the, the different elements in that song, you know, the Chaka Chaka rap. Um, I think it's one of the few uh, covers of a Prince song that actually exceeds the original. Chaka 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 con, chaka con, chaka con, chaka con, chaka con. Let me rock it, let me rock it, chaka con. Let me rock it, that's all I wanna do. Chaka con, let me rock it, let me rock it. Chaka-con. Your history, the twelve strangest women in music, is available from Repeater Books wherever you get your books. You can check us out on all the various socials. Be sure to visit our website at rockandrollgradschool.com and don't forget to leave us a review. Today's show is produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant producers are John Sauvet and Sandy Stone. Our willing producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Jeanette. Our intern is Zach Jackson. This one's for Philippe. Thank you, good night, and may all your favorite bands stay together. <laughs>